Welcome to The Naked Truth. Peace to you. We're going to pick up where we left off in the book of Numbers. It's the Old Testament, chapter, book 4. That's the fourth book in the Bible, chapter 32. Um, So, without further ado, let's begin. Now, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of livestock. And when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that indeed the region was a place for livestock, so as we go into this story, what's happening now is, so it's um it's the, the um tribes as they're called the um different family groups are divided into tribes. They're traveling now to war the promised land. They've already been through the wilderness now, just like that, forty years. It seems they've already made it through their wilderness years, and the older generation and um that was sort of unfaithful uh, or you know judged unfaithful all died off after their death sentence and um the ones younger the younger generation is now uh, grown up in those wilderness in the wilderness over those 40 years and um so that's who uh is present at that moment and all the other generation has died have died off and um as far as the area they're in um they're in the area of the world where we call the Holy Land, it's the area of the River Jordan, which, you know, comes up again and again and again throughout the Bible. And um, Reuben is, um, I believe, the oldest of the, uh, is one of the groups, but um, but Reuben is the tribe name. It goes by the um, forefather, the patriarch um, of each group. And it's going to go like that for all of the groups. And if it does, if it does, I'm just going to keep reading through it. So, because, you know, it's, um, um, so as not to be monotonous. And I'll just stop at the things that stand out with me. If we even run into those, I don't know if those kind of lists are in this chapter, but we'll see. Verse 2. The children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spoke to Moses, to Eliezer the priest, and to the leaders of the congregation, saying, so those two group leaders have approached Moses and Eliezer. At Moses is the same Ten Commandments, Moses, but his brother Aaron has passed away and been replaced by Eliezer, his son, as the new sort of high priest to serve alongside Moses for the time that Moses has left. He's also been given a sentence that he's not going to make it into the promised land either. Um... And well, there was one other thing. Oh, and this is all happening on the heels of them being told to take vengeance on Moses' in-laws, the people of his in-laws' family, the Midianites. And they just slaughtered a whole bunch of people. And I've, when we read through that, I meant to mention that that was an order, it seems, says, given by God to Moses to give to the people to, to carry out. But we went through the whole thou shalt not kill. We know that one. But um, as Christians, Jesus also Jesus also tells us in Luke 6.29, to him who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Basically letting us know to love, not even basically, to love our enemies verbatim. Um, to love our enemies is one of the commands for us Christians. But also even besides the Christian commandments, the Old Testament says in Deuteronomy, which contradicts, which is coming up after this chap book we're in now. Um, but in Deuteronomy chapter 32, it says, vengeance is mine and recompense. 
there um and that's um supposedly from the Lord also. So if vengeance and recompense are up to the Lord to carry out, why are the people being told to carry out vengeance and to carry out massacres? It seems to me it's more uh like it sounds it reads more like rationalization for the colonization of those areas they didn't uh own before but they're displacing people to take possession of at least that's how it reads to me but let's keep reading um verse three. Oh, so anyway they've approached the leaders to have a word with them let's see what they had to say verse three adaroth Dibon, jazer nimra heshbon elilay shabam nebo and beyond and so as always, please forgive me if I mispronounce any of those their cities, areas. Verse 4, uh, the country which the Lord defeated before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. So they're saying those different areas that we just went through the name of on verse 3 are, um, are, are rural areas, lots of livestock, lots of area for um, for the animals is what they're saying. Um you can kind of see where that's going because they're all supposedly headed on a trip. They've been emancipated from slavery in Africa, uh, in Egypt, in Africa, and passed through the wilderness to get to what we now call Palestine, Israel, or the Holy Land, and or the Holy Land. They're headed toward that area. They're on the borders of it now. And, um, and um, you know, in the story... And yet they've been um, told that they're supposed to continue on across the Jordan River to enter that whole area. And at that time, I think it's called Canaan for the most part. Um, so they've made it to the east side of the Jordan River. So if you picture that or have a map, you can see about where they're at. And um, it seems they're ready to uh, hop off the train there. But let's see. Verse 5, therefore they said, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as a possession. Do not take us over to Jordan. So that's what they're they're saying. They're like, they're ready to get off. They're, they'll stay right there. No need to cross the Jordan River. Uh, what they see before them, the land right there, is enough. They don't need to go any further with the journey. They're good. That's what they're saying to the leaders. Verse 6, And Moses said to the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, Shall your brother and go to war while you sit here? <laughs> so Moses is catching an attitude, and he's probably rightfully so, because he's like, well, look, we've come this far together. Hey, your brothers, you're the rest of your congregation, have still a ways to go till they can get to a place that's good for them. So it's nice that you found an area that's good for you, that your brothers helped you get to and land on. But how about them? Aren't you going to stick around so they can find a place too? Verse 7. Now why will you discourage the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord has given them? So he's like, well, why would you discourage them from going on with the war, with the journey, with the odyssey into um, conquering the Holy Land, basically? He's like, why would you discourage the rest of them since it's just because you got what it is you wanted? Verse 8, thus your fathers did when I sent them away from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. 
So he's like, you're doing just what your uh, fathers did, your forefathers did. When we sent spies to the land, uh, sent them to go check it out so that we could go ahead and move into it. Although if you really had the confidence to move into it, I guess it wouldn't hurt. It would make sense to send spies so you have an idea what you're going to face. But if you're walking on faith and and you believe the Lord is moving with you, do you really need to send spies ahead of you? And when they did, the spies returned with bad news for the people. And it discouraged the people. It sort of uh, shook their nerve. And he's telling them they're doing the same thing. Verse 9. For when they went up... Oh, here it is. For when they went up to the valley of Eshol and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel, so that they did not go into the land which the Lord had given them. So he's recounting to them that they're doing the exact same thing that their forefathers did in discouraging the people instead of encouraging them. Verse 10, So the Lord's anger was aroused on that day, and he swore an oath, saying, so he's also reflecting back on, okay, well, when y'all showed unfaithfulness in the past, when your forefathers showed, unfaith showed unfaithfulness in the past, the Lord in turn would lash out at them. So remember, these people are the next generation who are sort of too young to pick up on all the things that were happening before them. So he, he's cluing them in, letting them know, if you take that same, those same unfaith, make those same unfaithful actions, don't be surprised if you get the same unfaith, uh, unsavory results, getting the Lord to lash out at you for being unfaithful. Verse 11, surely none of the men who came up from Egypt from 20 years old and above shall see the land. Oh, sorry, skipped one. Verse 10, so the Lord's anger was aroused on that, on that day. And he swore an oath saying, so he's reflecting back on when the Lord lashed out at them being unfaithful. Verse 11, surely none of the men who came up from Egypt from 20 years old and above shall see the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because they've not wholly followed me. So he's recounting to them the fact that their fathers were unfaithful and it caused the Lord to lash out at them for the unfaithfulness specifically of sending spies ahead and making the people waver in their commitment to move on in the journey. Now they're turning around and doing the same thing and he's worried the same thing will happen. It'll cause the people to be doubtful, unfaithful, and mess up the whole uh the whole strategy for the whole crew. Let's see, uh, and even and he's letting them know, reminding them that it worked out for them that way. That that whole generation died over the course of the forty years punishment or sentence of hand punishment of walking wandering through the wilderness. The whole generation passed away. All of their parents, grandparents, all that generation passed away except for like two people, Caleb and Joshua, and obviously Moses. Um. Verse 12, except, oh, there it is. Sorry, I keep getting ahead. I didn't realize it was there. Verse 12, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they've wholly followed the Lord. So let's not read over that for sure. I didn't realize it was there, but those are the two that were exempt from being wiped out in the wilderness years. Notice who the two are. Well, notice who one of the two are. One of the two is. 
One of the two is a Kenizzite, meaning a Kenite, meaning a son of Cain. And that's Cain as in um, Cain and Abel Cain. And look who he's being called faithful. One of the only two faithful out of that whole generation that passed away during the wilderness years. And yet you see some preachers make a big deal about Kenites, Kenizzites, Cain being condemned to be extra wicked more than anyone else. Well, apparently not. You see there, he not only has his generation, his family line survived the wilderness years, but survived and considered faithful. And this isn't the last time where the, where the Kenites will be mentioned or uh, Cain, this lineage of Cain will be mentioned, but just something to take note of. Verse 13, so the Lord's anger was aroused against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was gone. So he's letting them know, um, F up if you want to, you might end up wandering around in the wilderness just like your parents did. Verse 14, and look, you've seen in your father's place, you've risen in your father's place. A brood of sinful men to increase still more the fierce anger of the Lord against Israel. So he's like, they messed up by being unfaithful and paid the price. They've got the death sentence and they're gone. Now you, their descendants, have risen up and done the exact same thing. Um, been unfaithful and asking for trouble from the Lord who's guiding you into the land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 15, for if you turn away from following him, he will once again. Did we skip another one? Sorry. Um, no, we didn't. So he's letting them know it's, it's sinful, it's wicked, it's the wrong thing to do to be unfaithful to the Lord just like their forefathers did. Verse 15, for if you turn away from following him, he will once again leave them in the wilderness and you will destroy all these people so he's like it happened once before and if you turn around and make the people behave unfaithfully unfaithfully again you best believe it's going to happen again and all of that generation will die verse 16 then they came near to him and said we will build sheepfolds here for our livestock and cities for our little ones so letting them know they came near so that they're not just announcing it openly to everyone what they intend to do but they've come near to let the um leaders know they're gonna stay there and go ahead and build things just the same uh verse 17 but we ourselves will be armed ready to go to go before the children of israel until we have brought them to their place and our little ones will dwell in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. Wait, did we? Let's read that one again. Verse 17. But we ourselves will be armed, ready to go before the children of Israel until we have brought them to their place. And our little ones will dwell in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. Okay, so they're saying they're going to go ahead and build cities there in the places they've conquered and let their little ones, and presumably wives, stay there and inhabit them while they continue on with the war with the rest of the congregation in the front for wars and conquering, colonizing. 
verse 18 we will not return our our homes until every one of the children of Israel they will not return to their homes until every one of the children of Israel has received his inheritance so they're committing to the war effort and letting them know that you know they're going to stop and build up cities there of the lands they've conquered already but they won't just stay there and settle in them they'll leave their little ones the youngins the kids the um and again presumably the women behind to um inhabit those areas that have already been conquered to colonize those areas while they can move on conquering and colonizing occupying other areas on their way verse 19 for we will not inherit with them they will not inherit with them on the other side of the jordan and beyond because their inheritance has fallen to them on this eastern side of the jordan so you saw there's only like one or two people even reading along me so you know why we read it the way we've read it there where as far as it talks about inheritance in case just in case by some strange fluke this is your first time reading with me um if you're interested in ever receiving an inheritance or if you have an inheritance that you may be in the process of receiving or you believe that some at some point you will receive some inheritance you should be careful about reading that verse there and the previous verses as we've read them as they are they written if you want to know why look up the matthew chapter 12 reading you can find it on my website it's free if you're an adult hungtgirl.com um is the website and go to the spirit and soul pages and look for the matthew chapter 12 reading and listen specifically or scroll to the verse 37 reading you could see it there and understand better why or if you're pretty uh nimble with your bible go to matthew 12 37 there and under you'll understand really quickly why um you should be careful the things you say out loud and since i'm reading this out loud that's why i'm trying to be careful while i'm reading it otherwise feel free to read it exactly as it's written i would encourage you to read it read it as it's written but if you're going to read it out loud i'd encourage you to be careful with that also so anyway they're saying that they're gonna stay um set their people up on that side of the river the east side of the jordan in modern day jordan that area and um around that area um and leave them there but they're going to continue on the war front with everyone else till they get their portion too verse 20 then moses said to them if you do this thing if you arm yourselves before the lord for the war so he's um going over the agreement with them if they continue to continue with the war effort verse 21 and all your armed men cross over the jordan before the lord until he's driven out his enemies before him so he's saying if you continue to with the war effort to stay armed and with the people the rest of the congregation and cross over in verse 22 and the land is subdued before the lord then afterward you may return and be blameless before the lord and before israel and this land shall be your possession before the lord so um he's saying if you agree to continue in the war effort cross over the river help them um get their part and subdue it so saying if you do it and they're victorious 
then you'll be blameless before the Lord. So if they continue with what they agreed with upon before they uh, even start the journey to make it to that promised land, um, then and conquer it, then you can go ahead and go back to your these areas east of the Jordan. <clears throat> Excuse me, east of the Jordan River. Verse 23, but if you do not do so, then take note. You've sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. That's a good verse. No, not that they all aren't, but that's a good one. Be sure your sin will find you out is a good thing to remember. When you do anything right or wrong, be sure it's going to find you out. And we reap what we sow. So whether other people realize it at the time or not, it's still going to pop up on you and catch up to you. So um, be sure your sin will find you out. Excellent verse there. A good thing to remember. And it's not even red letter, but it's a good thing I try to remember. But one of the other things to notice there about that verse is he's telling them to take note that if they are faithful to the agreement that they made in the first place, then fine, they won't bear any sin for it. If they decide to um, follow through with the agreement and then return to the cities east of the Jordan, even though that's not the area that they were promised. Remember, it's a promised land. Um but he's saying, but if they break the agreement and don't do that, then be sure that it's going to come back to haunt them. Um, their sin will find them out. Um, verse 24, build cities for your little ones and folds for your sheep and do what is proceeded out of your mouth. So he's telling them, go ahead and keep the agreement. Go ahead and do what you've contracted to do. Go ahead and build cities on that side east of the Jordan. Verse 25, and the children of Gad and the children of Reuben spoke to Moses saying, your servants will do as my Lord commands. So they're saying, um, okay, fine, you have a deal. Well, we've, we're going to build the cities just like we said we would and we have an agreement just like it's, as if they shook hands on it. Verse 26, our little ones, our wives, our flocks, and our livestock will be there in the cities of Gilead. So that's what the area is called at that time, Gilead. And like I said, in modern times, it's called Jordan. I think it's the same area. But if it's not called Jordan now, it's that same region. Verse 27, but your servants will cross over every man armed for war before the Lord to battle, just as my Lord says. So they're saying, we agree with you. They're going to cross over and do what they agreed to do. Verse 28, so Moses, so Moses gave command concerning them to Eliezer, the priest, to Joshua the son of Nun, and to the chief fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel. So Moses has passed on the agreement to the rest, to the high priest, and to the others, to the chief, uh, to the elders, the forefathers of the congregation. Verse 29, And Moses said to them, If the children of Gad and the children of Reuben cross over the Jordan with you, every man armed for battle before the Lord, and the land is subdued before you, then you shall give them the land of Gilead as a possession. So again, the area is called Gilead, and now Moses is announcing to the congregation, basically, that if the um, those two groups continue with them to cross over from the east to the west side of the Jordan River to help them conquer the lands over there, then when it's done, he's basically announcing the agreement to the rest of the congregation. Then when it's done, they can return to the east side of the Jordan 
to the area called Gilead. Verse 30, but if they do not cross over armed with you, they shall have possessions among you in the land of Canaan. So they're saying that's their uh, out. That if they do not cross over armed, um, like, they're, like they have agreed to, then they'll still get a possession, but it'll just be a possession with you. It won't be the Gilead land. It'll be in the area called Canaan, west side of the um, Jordan River, instead of the east side. If they, um, if they don't, if that's the contingency, that's the plan, that's the contract. Verse 31, Then the children of Gad and the children of Reuben answered, saying, As the Lord has said to your servants, so we will do. So they're basically saying, okay, we agree it's a deal, bet. Verse 32, we will cross over arm before the Lord into the land of Canaan, but the possession of our inheritance shall remain with us on this side of the Jordan. So they're saying they're going to, they're agreeing to it to cross over with the rest of the people, but the possession is going to be on the east side. So basically they're going back and forth, uh, agreeing to the terms of the contract. Verse 33, so Moses gave to the children of Gad, to the children of Reuben, and to half the tribe of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, the kingdom of Sihon, king of the Amorites, and the kingdom of Og, king of Bashan, the land with its cities with the, within the borders, the cities of the surrounding country. So those are the areas that were defeated before on the east side of the uh, Jordan River that they defeated before. That now they're just being given to those tribes, the two and a half tribes, to go ahead and occupy them on the east side of Jordan. But they're still going to continue to help with the war effort on the west side. Verse 34, And the children of Gad built Deban and Adaroth and Aurora. Uh, verse 35, Atroth and Shofan and Jazer and Jogbeha. Verse 36, Beth Nimrah and Beth Haran, fortified cities and folds for sheep. So those are the different city names from verses 34 through 36 of that they built up there on the east side of the Jordan from the land of Gilead, as it's called. And it's specifically for pastures for their sheep. Verse 37, And the children of Reuben built Heshbon and Elaleh and Kirjathaim, Nepo and Baal Mian, their names being changed, and Shibma, and they gave other names to the cities which they built. So those are the cities that they took over and conquered and renamed. Verse 39 And the children of Mashir, the son of Manasseh, went to Gilead and took, and took it, and dispossessed the Amorites who were in it. So that's the area that they took uh, um, uh, in that area of Gilead. So Moses gave Gilead to Mashir, the son of Manasseh, and he dwelt in it. So Mashir sounds like a name from India. It reminds me of those names. And remember that during the different periods of the diaspora, it seems that some of those different um, nations and areas almost certainly got intermingled. So it gives you another idea about what some of the people probably look like. It's a mixed multitude, it says specifically. Verse 40, so Moses gave Gilead to Mashir, the son of Manasseh, and he dwelt in it. Verse 41, and also Jair, the son of Manasseh, 
when it took its small towns and called them Havath Jair. Um, so that's another area. Towns of Jair is how what that translates to literally. Um, so that's another area that was conquered and colonized. Verse 42, then Noba went and took Kenath and its villages, and he called it Noba after its own name, after his name. So the people returned into an army. They went from tribes to armies, and they've gone from armies to uh, conquering armies, colonizers, where they're taking over the different lands that they're encountering. And they've even come up with um, ways to divide up the lands and as inheritances for themselves as the conquering armies as they go. Um, that's the last verse in this reading, but there was one other thing that I thought we might want to notice. Notice how Moses came up with that plan and they've all agreed to it. The Moses and the congregation and the religious leaders and the forefathers, the elites, everyone's come to that agreement, but no one consulted the Lord. And this, and how in the world can that plan possibly be successful? And I say that as somebody who's already, I remember that much of the Old Testament that it's not going to turn out so good for them when they do that. But it's not the first time. Remember, this isn't the first time where, uh, like Moses with the rock, with the staff, and got in trouble for getting presumptuous, and it ended up costing him his ticket into the promised land. But that wasn't the only time. There were other times where the people would get together, have a powwow, and not consult the Lord at all, and then come up with a plan and proceed with it, and then watch it fail, and then have the Lord rub their nose in it. And I'm saying Lord because that's how it's written, uh, like we've gone over again and again. Lord here is being translated, I believe, from Jehovah. I'm almost certain it is, but I'll check just to be sure because I don't want to give you any bad, um, um, you know, any bum information. Um, so I'll just randomly check. Uh, let's see, yeah, Lord is still being translated from the word Je uh, name Jehovah in this chapter, or at least in verse thirty-two, where I just checked, just randomly checked. Um, so um, I, I hate when I do that, I get distracted by um, the little details like that. They, the devil really is in them sometimes. But um, so you see the the there though that the um, the people. Uh, the Lord, it seems, gets doesn't get consulted and lashes out at it. And yet, again and again, you see the people resort to doing that. And I think maybe that's a message for us Christians, uh, even from the Old Testament. Another good one to get. Not only that your sin, be sure your sin will find you out. That one's classic. That's fabulous. But also that when we come up with our plans, when we come not even plans, when we comes come when it comes to our approaches and paths in life that we should consider before we agree with them and contract with them and settle on them and be sure about them. Be sure to consult the Lord. Um, I mean, just even as a, on a basic friend level, remember as Christians, Jesus tells us no longer do I call you servants, but servants, but I've called you friends for all things that I heard from my father I've made known to you. If you really consider God our friend, why wouldn't we consult with our friend about what our intentions, our plans are, our approach is, our paths are? 
Why wouldn't you do that before you do it? And I think Moses is showing us an example again and again of the price you pay when you don't do that. From minor things to major things that I think God, it seems God appreciates being um, um, included in on those decisions, big or small. It, it uh, Clearly, it's not too tedious or petty for the Lord if 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 you believe this is the Lord in the Old Testament, since that same Lord gets um very much concerned with details like tassels and the color of the tassels. So I think perhaps if um maybe that's the message. Keep God included in on the big details and the small ones. So that's where we're we'll in this reading. I thank you for checking it out with me and hope you'll join me again. Stay safe. God bless you and peace be with you. See you next time.